Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Will asks the question, do you love the church? What's your answer? Enjoy the message. What's so cool is we're going to dive into Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 16, is you're going to see uh, the way that Paul considered the people that he ministered to as he brought the gospel to the entire Mediterranean world. Okay? And, and what's so cool about the church of Jesus is just how expansive and just how all-encompassing and just how important all of the relationships that are within the church actually are. And so, um, so before we dive in, I, I do have a question, and, and, and this is more for me, this is more to, to just kind of help me get to know a little bit of, of, about you and the audience here today. Are there any readers in the house? Anybody here enjoy reading? Got some, I saw some very forceful hands like, yes, I am a reader. Um, obviously, being college students, you're all readers. That, 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 that's a given. Um, but there's a very important page in every single book, right? And it's usually one of the first pages that when you open up a book, you, you, you turn to. And I'm not talking about the copyright information. I'm talking about, there's this blank page, usually with about a couple lines on it, and it's the author's dedication, right? And, and, and you read this page, and you usually see, you know, this book was written to my sister. She was great. And you're like, okay, cool. I had this dedication page. And it, it, I'm not sure why it gets a whole page in the book, but, you know, um, I always find it funny that I read that page in the kids' books that I read to my kids, and they're always like, who's what, this person? I said, I have no idea, but they were important enough to put in a book. So, um... To be, so, when I was asked to preach this section of Romans, I, I was really excited. I was like, sweet, you know, I, I, I love Romans. It's a great, you know, theological book. And uh, so I went into my office and I immediately began to re- read through uh, the chapter 16, verses 1 to 16. But I, I got to be honest with you. Uh, after reading through the section, I walked back to Andy's office and I said, am I seriously going to preach through a list of names? I mean, this is literally a glorified author dedication of the book of Romans. And he says, Will, I believe in you. And so, Andy, thank you for believing in me. Um, and I, and I, to be honest with you, like, it was really rewarding to study through the list of names. It was really uh, encouraging to, to learn about the people that Paul had dedicated this letter to. And... The first question that went through my mind as I started to unpack this is, why would Paul end this book in this way? Why would the book of Romans, the last chapter, why would it end uh, with this section of names? And as uh, John MacArthur says, he ends the book of Roman, Romans with the most intimate and specific words of personal loving greeting ever to come from the inspired heart and mind of the Apostle Paul. In this passage, as we're going to dig into it today, it really does reveal God's heart for individuals. It shows that God remembers their names and was moved enough by these people's service to the church that he recorded their names in Scripture. And so I think as we, as we enter into this passage this morning, it's going to kind of unlock a little bit about what the book of Romans actually was, right? The book of Romans is not a rule book. The book of Romans is not a religious textbook of theology. It's not a textbook of history of the Roman Empire. It's a letter. It's a letter that was written to a church to encourage, to instruct, and to exhort the contributions of people 
who helped to move the gospel forward in Rome. And so, if you're anything like me, and, and, if, and if you are like I was, when you get to a book of names, you read through the names, and you say, here's a bunch of people who I don't know, whose names I can't really pronounce, so I'm going I'm to move past this section and get to what actually matters. But this morning, we're not going to skip over the, verse of the, the section of names. This morning, we're going we're gonna to look at And we're going to try and understand why Paul concluded his letter to the Roman church in this way. And why the names of the people that Paul highlighted in this passage are names that we should know today. So, what is this this list of names, right? If you go in the Bible, uh, if you crack open the Old Testament, um, you'll find lists of all of all sorts shapes and sizes right this list of names is not a genealogy it doesn't track someone's you know birth line like you would find in Matthew 1 or Luke 3 this isn't a census of the nation of Israel where in uh, in the book of numbers you get to see just how big the nation of Israel was that had left their captivity in Egypt and were, were moving into the promised lands this is not a historic list of Jewish rulers that you would find in first kings No, this list is completely different. This list uh, gives us a picture of Paul's personal relationship uh, and affection for the early church. Because it's easy to miss. When you think about like Paul and he went on these journeys and he had all these, you know, letters that he wrote in, in the New Testament, it's easy to miss just how expansive his ministry actually was. Because he traveled to over 50 cities. He traveled all over the Mediterranean world sharing the gospel. So take a look at this picture. What I've highlighted on the screen for you, uh, you'll see the dark shaded area is the Roman Empire. And the area that I've colored in red with the help of my awesome um, photoshopping skills is pretty much uh, about the ministry area of Paul. And you can just see how expansive the church network that he was building was. When you realize that his ministry stretches from uh, Italy to Greece, all the way down there, you know, in the Middle East, down to Jerusalem, you realize that Paul didn't have a mega church. He had a mega ministry that was fueled by a mega mission. And when you think about the fact that Americans 40 years ago had, on average, about five really close personal friends, and then you read the studies about today and you realize that now people, you know, you're closer to two two or three, two and a half uh, close personal friends, you realize that Paul had an absolutely immense love for the people of the church, so much that he was willing to highlight them whenever he sent his greetings to the churches of the Mediterranean world. And so what we have to, where we're going to start this morning, and where we're going to dig into this book, to this section of Romans, is with a question that demands an answer from each and every one of us. And that question this morning is this. Do you love the church? Do you love the church? Or is the church just a place that you like to visit every week? Is the church just a part of your weekly rhythm? Do you love the church? Or is this just a place where you go to kind of get your needs met and kind of get your your, your socialization for the week? Do you love the church? Or are you just hoping that by filling out your attendance sheet and punching your time card and and saying that you're a part of it, that maybe, just maybe, your attendance here will lead to attendance up there? Do you actually love the church? 
And as we dive into this section of scripture, we see Paul's absolute affection for the blood-bought bride of Jesus Christ that is the church. And even though, even though the church is not a perfect organization, it is God's plan A to bring hope to a dying world. So when I ask you, do you love the church? The second question that follows it is what do we actually love about the church? And what we find in this section of scripture is we find three things. That there are three things that the Apostle Paul loves most about the church. And this is what we're going to unpack this morning. These three details that, he, that he, he takes us through in this section of Romans. He loves the incredible unity. He loves the incredible people. And he loves the incredible affection that are displayed in the Roman church. So we're going to start off uh, with incredible unity. So this list of names that we're going to unpack, and I'll, I'll get to reading it uh, in, in just a bit. Um, but this list of names has incredible uh, implications for us as an American society today, okay? Uh, in Galatians 3.26, Paul writes this. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, and you have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Paul is highlighting in Galatians a reality that he writes about in this section of Romans. And the reality is this, is that we are all equals in the shadow of the cross. If you go back and you read Romans 15, you'll see Paul's perspective uh, when it comes to the Gentiles. And he sees these Gentile people, these people who weren't Jewish by, by heritage, coming into the church as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And so what do we see in this list of names? In this list of names in Romans chapter 16, we see Jews and Gentiles. We see slaves and free. We see men and women. And in, in order to completely like understand the implications of this list, we kind of have to take ourselves out of 2023 and move ourselves 2,000 years ago to the early church, to the early society, and to see just how... Uh, just how different this list of, of names is. Because there's actually some hidden meaning here when you start to unpack and, and understand uh, how all of these names just kind of randomly thrown into this list are, 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 are put together. Because to Paul's audience 2,000 years ago, women had little or no value to society. They uh, were rarely landowners. They were scrutinized publicly by uh, lawmen and and. and public people like Cicero, uh, who thought that their testimony in court was worthless because of their weak judgment. And so women in society back then weren't seen as equals to men. And in fact, as you start to unpack this list, you'll find that the first three names, that two of the first three names on this list are of women. And out of the 27 names that he lists in this section of scripture, a third of them are women. And you start to realize that this isn't just a normal list of names. This isn't just a, a, a collaboration of all the, you know, the, the highest donors of the church in Rome that he's, he's highlighting. No. Paul is listing the incredible contributions to the ministry in Rome. And he's highlighting these people who he sees as his dear brothers and sisters, regardless of what their background is. And so you won't find like what's common in other churches. Uh, you know, I've, I've been to a number of uh, different religious services, and, and one religion actually has a completely different section for women in their churches. 
And in the church that I visited, they had uh, the men would go up to the front, the women had to enter through the back, and they were, they were behind this little fence. You couldn't even see them in the worship service. And what I'm saying is, back, back 2,000 years ago, that was the way that society viewed women. And today we see that Paul is, is mentioning and showing the beauty of the bride of Christ. You can also see that Paul is forsaking his cultural upbringing, right? Paul was raised as a Jew. So that means that the Gentile people that, that he's naming on this list, he would have considered to be ceremonial, un, ceremonially unclean, Okay? But even more so, as a, as a Jew, Paul would have seen these Gentile believers as, even if he came in contact with them, then Paul would be ceremonial un, unclean because of his association with them. And then, as we dig into this list even further, we see the Father heart of God in this. That Paul doesn't divide along the typical cultural dividing lines but he sees people from different backgrounds, from, from, from different walks of life, uh, as equals, as his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so in the church of Jesus Christ, in this organization that is God's hope for the world, you will see there's no such thing as rich or poor, slave or free, healthy or sick, when it comes to humanity's need for God. Because we are all slaves to sin in our lives. We all have impulses that we can't control. Every single one of us does things that we know we shouldn't do and fails to do things that we know we really ought to do. Every single one of us uh, is, is in spiritual poverty because we can't actually be the people that we want to be. We're all, we've all accumulated this sin debt before God. And so regardless of what our paycheck says at the end of the week, we are all in a sin debt and unable to pay that. And end every single one of us has been completely infected by the sin nature and we can't change it no matter how hard we try. And that's why this list of names is so important. That's why from an eternal perspective, this list offers an, an incredible leveling of the church and shows us that our one hope in Jesus can free us from being enslaved to our sinful desires and that it's ultimately the gospel alone that can be the cure for the sin that has infected mankind. So, you'll find in this list that the unity that Paul is highlighting is not based on shared experience. It's not based on, on culture because he, he was literally bringing this all around the Mediterranean and it wasn't based on economic status. The gospel-centered unity is based upon the common father that we have in God, the common savior that we have in Jesus, and the common mission that we've all been called to fulfill, to reach the lost, to bring the hope of the gospel to those who don't know it. And that's why one of our core values at this church is that we are to advance the gospel because life is too short and the stakes are too high to know what we know about Jesus, to know what we know about the hope that we have in him, to know what we know about the Father and do nothing. And that alone should unify us. That alone should allow us uh, to be a body that, that is, is unified in one mission as we take our marching orders from our Father and we lovingly serve him and represent him in the world. And it's the work of the Spirit empowering the hard work of believers, like the people that Paul highlights on this list, that allows the gospel to spread 
from a few believers gathered in an upper room to literally taking over the entire Mediterranean world and into the global movement that it is today. So are we ready to dig into this list? Are we ready to go into some of the names? All right, here we go. Awesome, thank you. I appreciate the, uh, the shoutbacks here. All right, Paul starts verse, verse 1. He uh, mentions this lady named Phoebe. Verse 1 reads this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Centrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help that she may need from, from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So what we see about Phoebe in these first two verses is that she was a deacon. She served the church. Uh, and, and what's clear from Paul's uh, use of the Greek, this is um, what John MacArthur helped me understand, is that this, this term benefactor of many actually is referencing uh, that the fact that she was a wealthy woman who used her treasure, her gifts, her abilities, uh, you know, her network to help other people, okay? And so Paul is literally saying, uh, he's entrusting this woman with the letter to the Church of Romans. He's giving it to her because, you know, he, she's, she's, she's been a great servant so far. And he's saying, as she has helped so many in the church, wherever she's traveling from, help her also. So what you see here is you see someone who is known for helping others being instructed by Paul to receive aid from other people as she travels with this letter. And so what's incredible is you can see how Paul is encouraging us all to leverage our unique, uh, our unique abilities, our unique situations in life to help and encourage other believers. The other term that's, that sticks out from this passage is the word deacon. And so we see the word deacon uh, used. It doesn't have, uh, you know, any, any gender term or whatever. It's a, it's a general term uh, referring to one who serves, and this applies to both men and women. And so we can see through Phoebe's example that women were called to significant ministry in the church. Phoebe was called to take the 740-mile journey across the Mediterranean with a layover at port, because she had to cross the sea, uh, to deliver this letter to the, to the church. Here's some, here's some of the other incredible people that Paul expresses in this letter. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ, who risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Verse 6, greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ. Verse 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, the women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Perseus, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. And as, as I'm reading this, um, I start to kind of chunk it together. You know, it's like you, you, you take things like, what, what can I connect? How can, we, how can we connect the dots? And what I've done by highlighting these names in one group for you is to, is to show you this. Paul is highlighting incredibly hardworking people. Seven of the 27 names are being highlighted because of their hard work done for the bride of Christ. And this affirms, uh, God's, this affirms God's value that he places on those who work hard in the Lord. Let's look at Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward, because it's the Lord Christ that you are serving. See, the people that served in the early church, they were worthy of being included on this list, of having their names included in Scripture, because they were loved for their service to the church. 
And, and it's safe to assume, as you look through a lot of the writings in, in Acts specifically, you can see a lot of what the early church service looked like. I'll highlight some, some of these things for you. Caring for the sick, caring for the poor, ministering to strangers, showing hospitality, supporting missionaries, and providing for the needs of the ministry leaders, especially those who are in prison, right? Because you see that with the, um, I'm not sure if I read that one, but we'll get to that later. Um, but what does that mean for us today, right? It means that your acts of service, that your time spent building up this, whatever you want to call this, this building, this group of people, this place that we know as the church, is an excellent reflection of the gospel, of hospitality. I mean, I mean, look, 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 look at what we do. We have people literally standing. They get here early. And, and, and part of the people, part of the perk of serving at the church, it's a little bit more than just getting first dibs at the coffee. But we have people who get here early to make the coffee. We have people who get here early to hold the door open for you. We have people who get here early to set the table so that we can accurately reflect the hospitality that's been displayed in the church for over 2,000 years. And with all that effort, with all, with all those mornings where the alarm clock goes off and you're like, you know, I just want to sleep in. Kenosha City Church has two services. Let me just go to 11. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just phone it in this time. You know, I'll just go to second service. But all of these people for 2,000 years have taken every thought captive and said, I am going to work hard for the Lord because the gospel is making a difference. And the gospel is worth it. And the gospel is the reason why we, we don't hit snooze on our alarm. We get up even on the days that we don't want to. Come to the church to serve even when our lives have been busy. Because we understand that's how Jesus served us. Jesus served us for 33 years, enduring everything that we go through and more. And the only reasonable response to what Christ has done for us is to reflect him back to a dying world. Look at what Jesus says in, in Matthew 6. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. But your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And we're seeing Jesus' own words come to fruition here. Priscilla, Aquila, Mary, Urbanus, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Perseus, all served faithfully, all worked hard for the Lord. Paul loved their dedication to the mission. Paul heard of the impact of the lives that were being, that were being you know, brought to the gospel because of their service. And Paul inspired their example for us today from 2,000 years ago so that we would never forget the fact that God honors what is done in secret and it's made visible to the Lord. Another genuine reason for why Paul loves the incredible people of the church is that Paul had genuine friendships with people. Let's look at this, at this group. Verse 3, Priscilla and Aquila, they risked their lives for me. Verse 5, my dear friend Empanatus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Verse 8, greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Verse 9, greet my dear friend Stachus. Verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother who is a mother to me too. Have you ever wondered or considered that maybe your love for the church could actually lead to some lifelong, lasting, and true friendships, just as Andy talked about a couple, couple messages ago? Friends who would literally risk their lives for you? Relationships that, are, that just aren't bound together by a, a common hobby, but actually bound together because of the person and work of Jesus? 
Relationships that endure ups and downs, mountains and valleys, right? Relationships that actually matter. And for you young people in the church, I want to ask you this honestly. Do you have a Rufus's mom in your life? Do you have someone who, who's from that older generation, you know, someone who can end up almost being like an adopted parent to you? Did you ever have a Rufus's mom for the people who are, you know, my age in, in the audience? Who is Rufus's mom in your life? And who could you be Rufus's mom or Rufus's dad, you know, uh, to, to a child in City Kids, to a student at Rev? Who are these people? Because Paul is highlighting Rufus's mom as someone who is like a mother to him, right? And so what does that mean? What does that mean in our 2023 context? Rufus's mom might not understand why her world-famous chocolate chip cookies used to be delicious, but now they're bussin'. But I guess if you want to eat her cookies on the bus, she probably wouldn't have a problem with that. As a matter of fact, I took my first uh, lift ride. I booked it in our trip to California. And I got to be honest. I got to be honest with you. I actually preferred hiring a lift than taking the bus. That's a hot take. That's a hot take. Uh, but even if you don't understand the Gen Z slang, you might understand that I was a youth pastor. And even though I don't get it, I understand the heart behind it, right? And that, that was Rufus's mom's relationship to the church. She was known as a mother to many. She was known as a mother to Paul. So even though you're cringing right now, you still love it. I know that as a fact. Let me, uh, let me highlight uh, this last name uh, from verse 10. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. When you think of reliability, if you're a car guy, you, you, know, you might think of a, a Honda or a Toyota. If you're, an, if you're a sports fan, there might be a couple of names that rise to the top. Cal Ripken, 16 years, 2,362 consecutive baseball games. Maybe it's football. Brett Favre, 16 years, 297 consecutive games. Maybe it's NASCAR. Jeff Gordon, 22 years, 797 consecutive races. The thing about the list of, of athletes that I've just highlighted to you that stands out to me is the fact that all of these guys were at the top of their game. All of these guys were dedicated so much to their craft that they showed up week in and week out and had the skill and determination to stay at the top of their game so they wouldn't lose their spot to the next guy that was trying to climb the charts. You know, I, I, as I was thinking about uh, dedication and, and the word that they use in the, in, the, uh, in the verse here is fidelity, I think back to my high school graduation. And at graduation, they had this ceremony for uh, a handful of kids who had perfect attendance all four years of high school. And, and as these students stood up, I remember thinking like, oh, I didn't even know this person was in my grade. Oh, I didn't, I didn't even know this guy. Like, like I was looking at it and I was like, why is it that you can have perfect attendance all throughout high school, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be in the top 10% of the class? What is it about this term that, that, that Paul uses, fidelity, that allowed Apelles to stand the test. And what's crazy about this is the, the quality that Paul loves most here and is highlighting for us today is the fact that Apelles' faith was approved. Uh, this word means genuine. 
The word is used when, when they were comparing currency. They would hold up one coin uh, next to counterfeit coin, and they would realize that it was the real deal. And so as, as this, this last person that Paul is highlighting as an incredible person in the church stood the test of time as a real deal brother and sister of the church. So we've talked about incredible unity. We've talked about incredible people. We're going to land today with incredible affection. Many of you may have read verse 16, uh, but, but this is what I think is captured in, in verse 16. He says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. All of the churches of Christ send their greetings. So you can't answer the question, do you love the church, without considering your relationships to others, okay? Whether it's a holy kiss, a holy handshake, or a holy encouraging text message, your relationship to the people in this room matters. It matters to God. It matters to the Apostle Paul. And I think, I think it's the relationship of ourselves to others within the church body that Paul is really highlighting with this verse. Because you can see Paul's incredible affection for people, and he's urging others to display that same affection to them as well. And when I think about ways to understand incredible affection, uh, it reminds me of a scene from a movie that literally gets me every time because you can see the character's absolutely incredible affection uh, in this scene. So if you've ever seen the movie Inside Out, any, any Pixar fans here today? There was a character in the movie, uh, his name was Bing Bong, okay? He was a cotton candy elephant man. Uh, he was an imaginary friend of this 11-year-old girl. And, and what's seen in the film is as she begins to grow up, she has this crisis, okay? And this crisis causes her uh, to be consumed with anger, fear, and, and anxiety, okay? So they're illustrating this movie by literally going inside of her brain and showing how the emotions are characterized as joy and sadness are completely gone. They're, they're, they're MIA. They're not present. And so as the, um, as the characters of joy and sadness are trying to work their way back into the central hub of this 11-year-old girl, they're on this crazy adventure. And on this crazy adventure, they meet this guy named Bing Bong. He's kind of a wandering, you know, bumbling, traveling man. But what they find is he's collecting all of these positive memories. He's collecting all of these, these experiences that he shared with this girl. He's collecting all of these happy moments that he shared with this 11-year-old when he was considered to be her best friend, right? And, and through a series of unfortunate events, uh, Joy and Bing Bong end up falling into the abyss where they're going to be wiped from her memory forever, forever. But they find hope in Bing Bong's rocket ship, okay? They jump in this rocket ship and they're trying to launch themselves out of this abyss. They're trying to zoom all the way out of the, out of the endless hole that is, you know, going to be lost in the, in the bowels of her memory forever, Right? And after trying, after time, after time, after time, they just can't get the rocket to go quite high enough. So Bing Bong realizes something. Bing Bong realizes that this 11-year-old girl, who once cherished him so much, is never going to experience joy again unless he gets joy out of this hole. And so in that last-ditch effort to get the rocket out of the abyss, he jumps, out of the, he jumps off the rocket 
And losing him off of the rocket propels the rocket higher to where it couldn't go with him in it. In his last words to Joy, as the scene ends, he says, take her to the moon for me, okay? And as I'm reading through this list of Romans, and I'm reading the incredible affection that Paul had for people, and I'm reading about the love that he shared for people that, that have been lost in, in the, over time, I can't help but, but realize he's probably writing for the people of the church to experience this incredible affection. And he's pleading with the ministry leaders and the pastors and the people who are serving at the church to take all the young believers to the moon, to show affection for other people, to care about other people just as Jesus cared for us. And I have to admit, as I'm reading this, I'm, I'm, I'm frantically writing this message, trying to get it done. And we were supposed to have a city group grill out on Tuesday. And I told my wife, I said, I'm not going to go. I have way too much work. I, I don't have time to socialize. I have to get this done. And I'm reading this passage and I'm like, I can't, I can't skip out on this. I'm going to have to find time somewhere else because there's so many times in my life that I've missed this. There's so many times that I've been so preoccupied and so busy with life and stuff that's going on on the outside that I don't prioritize people, that I don't show the proper affection for my brothers and sisters that Paul is urging us to show. And so if you're anything like me, I'm just going to read you. Here's my mail, okay? We're really good at excusing our motives, aren't we? We say things like this, well, I'm an introvert. So social interaction drains me, and the last thing that I want to do is have a conversation and have to carry out uh, interacting with people. You know, we live in such a consumeristic society where we, we treat church like we treat our Qdoba bowl, right? It's so easy to say, I like this location, I like these service times, I like this, you know, music style, I, I might like the preacher sometimes, but I'm really not ready to jump in and serve. Why? Because our, it's our consumeristic tendencies that are fueling us to be a part of the church. And what's, what's, what's wrong with that is instead of being devoted to the body, instead of getting to know and sharing affection with people, we come to church to consume and then to judge the product that we're consuming. And that's why Paul is urging us to show affection for one another, to actually care about the people that we're serving and we're, and, we're, and we're loving God and experiencing God with. Because then, when you put your consumerism aside and you show up to church and, and Phil decides to change the worship and he brings Pastor Brandon up here to rap in the middle of a worship song, right? Like, it doesn't affect your status at church because we're able to put our preferences aside because of the absolute incredible affection that we have for the other people. God has brought people from all walks of life to this place so that we could share our lives with one another, so that we could live our lives with one another. And in the case of Priscilla and Aquila, that we would be willing to give our lives for one another. That's loving the church. That's loving the body of Christ. And sure, there are things about people that we don't like. Sure, there are things that are going to annoy you about this person, that person, or the other person. There are even things that you don't know about other people in this room that, you're not, that you wouldn't like if you found out. But here's the reality. The reality is that there are things about you that you don't like. There are things about me that I don't like. And try as, as hard as I, I want. That's why the whole self-help industry even exists. 
That's why we tell ourselves one more TED Talk, one more book, one more podcast will help me to get to, to where I'm trying to go. But the problem is we're all in this same situation together. We're all in this same consumeristic society. We're focused on me, 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 me. And Paul is urging us in this section of Scripture to look out, to care about other people, and to take your eyes off yourself and literally see people for who they are, made in the image of God, bought with the precious blood of Jesus, significant in every sense of the word. We need to fundamentally change the way that we view others and ourselves and realize, just as Pastor Brandon prayed out at worship today, that we are all sinners in need of salvation. You see, the only way for us to actually change is for us to redefine the way that we see sin. Right? Because sin is, so much of the time we see sin as, I, I, I break the rules or I follow the rules. But sin is more than that. Sure, that's a part of it. Obedience to God, you know, not being obedient to God is sin. But sin is also self-righteousness. Sin is also saying, if I don't do this, if I don't, you know, manifest all of these things, uh, you know, and, and you, you, know, you know self-righteous people because they're really good at, at, at pointing out when you miss the mark, Right? But sin is trying to be your own savior. And, and, and what we cannot be at Kenosha City Church is we cannot fall into this self-righteousness and trying to save ourselves at the expense of realizing what Jesus has done for us. And if you look through the history of the world, you will see that religious people are just as capable of, of performing and doing and, and, and taking part in evil as irreligious people are. And so does that mean that after coming to know Jesus, does everything get better? Does it, it, when, when, we're, when we're saved, when we, when we know Jesus as our Savior, does that change everything in our life? Well, actually, it, it gets a little bit more complicated. Uh, Jesus says this, If we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Father give good gifts to us? There's a dichotomy in that verse that, that Jesus preached. And the dichotomy is this, Evil people, still God's children, okay? And the key to truly understanding relationships in the church is to understand that we are all evil sinners. Pastor Tim Keller uh, passed away this week and uh, found this quote online, and I just, I, I have to read it because it's so good. He writes this, The gospel is that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared to hope. We are all God's children. We are all part of the family of God. When you come to know Jesus, you have a new relationship with sin. You are, yes, you are always going to be a sinner, but you've been justified. You've been made right through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And only Christianity... Christianity is the only religion that acknowledges both sides of the coin. Christianity is the only religion that says you don't have to work away your evil. You're accepted as you are, flaws and all. And then it also instructs us to go and, and accept other people, flaws and all. See, because we were all created by God to live with him. We were all created to have this intimate, personal relationship with God. That's the way that he designed it from the start. 
But the fact is, every single one of us has messed up. Every single one of us has gone our own way. Every single one of us has chosen to take life into our own hands. And we've fallen. We've fallen short of the standard of perfection. And once perfection is lost, you can't get it back again. It's gone. There's no way to work yourself to perfection. Because once you introduce imperfection, the bucket is no longer perfect, right? So what do we do? We've been separated from God by our sin. A, 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 a holy and perfect God cannot dwell with imperfect sin. It, it, it's like they're diametrically opposed. It can't, can't mix them, right? So what happens? 2,000 years ago, God sends his own son, Jesus, to live, to live a life that we couldn't live, a perfect, sinless life devoted to the Father. Jesus died a death that we should have died for all of the wrong choices so that our roles with him can be reversed. So that we have an opportunity to sit at the table that was reserved for Jesus. We have an opportunity to be a part of the family of God that was perfect with, with the Father and the Son. That, that, that Jesus would make a way for everyone who puts their faith and hope and trust in eternal salvation in Jesus would have eternal life. That's the hope of the church. That's the hope that the church, that's the reason why we're here. That's why we have painted on our wall that we're to make disciples, teaching them to be fully devoted disciples. That's what binds us together. That's the unity. Those are the incredible people that Paul is highlighting. And that is the fuel for the affection that the church should be showing to one another. So if you don't know Jesus, I'd like to give you an opportunity to meet him. He's amazing. You may never have read your Bible before, but I guarantee you, if you go into God's word, ready to meet the Lord, he will meet you where you're at. So with every head's bowed and eyes closed, if today you're saying, you know what, maybe I've been burned by church in the past, maybe I'm giving church my last shot this morning, but Jesus, I'm all in. I want to be fully devoted to you because your life, your death, your resurrection, your life freely given for mine makes me want to reflect you makes me want to live a life honoring to you because it's the only reasonable way uh, to thank you for what you've done for me. If that's you and you're ready to put your faith in Jesus, I'd just like to see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. If you're online, you can click uh, the box just below there in the chat. Father, I thank you so much for the people that are choosing to say yes today. For the people that are choosing to say, you know what? I'm not expecting the church to be perfect but I know that Jesus is, and I want to live like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to have the hope that Jesus bought with his own life for me. We thank you so much for new life in this room, Lord, and we ask that we would be good stewards of the relationships that we've been entrusted to minister alongside. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, for everybody else, before the band starts playing, I know they're up here and um, tuning their guitar. If you're a Christian in this room, I started the message with a question. It's a really difficult question, I understand. Um, sorry, I'm just going to... I think I got it. Now I have to go off all my application notes from memory here. <laughs> the question was, do you love the church? The question was, if you say you love the church, what about it do you love? I know, I, I, I know it's a loaded question. I know it's, 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 there's layers, right? Like Shrek and the Onion, there's a lot of layers to that question. But the heart of the question is this. Are you, if, if you call yourself a Christian here today, are you ready to go with God's plan A 
and realize that there is no plan B. That when God says the church is the hope of the world, are you ready to go all in to God's plan A, God's blood-bought bride of Christ? Are you ready to use your gifts, your talents, your abilities? Are you ready to put aside your preferences and bind shoulder to shoulder with your brothers and sisters in this room, serving people that aren't even in this room? Our next generation, our kids who, who are, are right now learning what it's like to worship God because of people like you who are serving, who are giving an hour and a half, who are getting up early when their alarm clock goes off, right? People serving just so that others have a chance to experience and hear and know the hope of the gospel. Do you love the church? Are you willing? And I know we've got graduates, and I'm talking to you graduates too. When you go back home, are you willing to use your gifts, your abilities, your talents, which are incredible, to encourage faith in other people? And if you love the church, if you love the Lord, you can't hide the gift under a lampshade. The gospel is a bright light to a dark world. And we are all gifted in different ways to be a part of sharing that message. And so I pray that people would have a list of names and other people's names would include you because of your impact on their life in the way that they're able to see God. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.